When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 596. I'm sitting here in the Nerdist Podcast office? Studio? What is this room, Katie? It's a studio. It's not really, though. It's an office that we've squatted. Yeah. That- I would call it a studio, though. So do you think anywhere you can set up a microphone as a studio, or do you think a studio has to be well, designed as I, a studio? Okay, I guess it's a room. We it's, did put up a few things of egg crate. The rest fell. <laughs> there are there are egg crates up. This episode uh, is our, our pal Peter Farrelly, who, I think we mentioned this on the podcast, he actually announced Dumb and Dumber 2, uh, that it was being done on this very podcast uh, a while ago, and of course a lot of other news sources took credit for it, but it happened here first. Sorry for being passive aggressive, but uh, yeah. So Pete, Pete came back on. Dumb and Dumber Two uh, is out this Friday, November fourteenth. Harry Lloyd back. Rob Riggle back. Um, our new pal Rachel Melvin in. <laughs> She's great in it. Kathleen Turner in. It's a fun movie, and you should go watch it. If you, whether or not you, even if you never saw the original Dumb and Dumber, you could still go, or you could watch it and then go watch the sequel again. But. But really fun. And Pete's the nicest guy in the world. He really is. He's such he a sweet so nice. guy. So here we go, the Nerds Podcast number 596 with Peter Farrelly. Now entering Nerdist.com. So we're both right. No, actually, you're right. That's where you were born. That's what you said. You guys are arguing about right, Michael Chiklis was born? Yes. We're very competitive. How long did that go on? Notable. Notable. About a half hour. We're just discussing notable people from Lowell, Massachusetts, which I am fortunate enough to be on that you and Michael Chiklis. Me, Michael Chiklis, Ed McMahon. Oh. Uh, Olympia Dukakis. Mickey Ward, of course. Jack Kerouac. Jack Kerouac. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You've heard of him. Yeah. Anyone else? I'll hang on, I'll look. Okay. Notable residents. Jack Kerouac's got like the saddest death of of you know those people. He just he was at his mother's house living with his mother down in Florida and he just keeled over drinking at like ten thirty in the morning. Oh, that was it? Yeah, he was like forty six or something. Jesus. 
It's a sad ending for a guy like, you know, he was such a, you know, his books are so alive. Kerouac, know? Ed McMahon, Betty Davis, uh-huh. Michael Chiklis, Nancy Kelly, Olympia Dukakis, Michael Ansara, Matt Myra, Michael Casey, George Washington Dixon, I don't know who that is, Mike Goddard of Lost in Space, Ray Goulding of Bob and Ray. Uh, you listen to Lowell talk with yeah. Matt, Matt fucking Myra. Welcome to talking to Lowell, uh, Matt Myra. Hey, uh, looks like uh, Nicholas A. Bezbanes, author, cultural historian. He wrote uh, Gentle Madness. Oh, I was wondering what that guy was born. <laughs> yeah. Now I can sleep tonight. Yeah. I got like a lot the, of insomnia over that. Yeah, I like how you guys begin your show. Like, is there ever is there an actual beginning? No, or there's just never kinda, a beginning. No, no. I mean it's not it's like, like hey, how you doing? We're yeah. back. It's just like it's it's just like it's endless. It just yes, picks it's, up. It's again. like the universe. There are some strong theories about how it started, yeah. but no one's exactly sure. Yeah, but I we've been I've been here about forty five minutes. We've been talking like yeah. we've already covered yeah, all the good shit. Did it. <laughs> that was it. Enjoy your burrito, yeah. everyone. What? Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. This is the easiest podcast ever. <laughs> you know, it's 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 nice and um, circular to have you on because you announced. Dumb and Dumber 2 when you came on the podcast. That's right. Uh, ages ago. Yes. And by the way, as you know, I invited you to come to the set and be in Dumb and Dumber 2. You did not. Uh, you... I totally did. No, yeah, you did. said... No, it's on the tape. Yeah. No, no. I thought, I thought no, what... no, 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 no. I thought what During... you said was, oh, come down and, and podcast the guys. During the production, I had them contact you, say, please come by, and we would love to put you in it. No one told me that. Okay, then Ellen's fired. No. my. I mean, she said, no, he can't do it. I said, really? Because... You know, it would be great to have him out here. I swear to God. I would have loved to have done that. Okay, is there a phone? Wow. No, yes. Let's call, call, call this Listen, number. Listen, first of all. I want her to I explain. I'm telling you, like. I believe you because you're a man of your word. <laughs> I try to get you in the I movie. wanted to be in the movie. I wanted you. I was shocked that you said no. I didn't say no. Now, if you'd asked me, I'm from Lowell. I would have come by. Ellen, you there? No, it's still ringing. Hey, Ellen, how you doing? It's Pete. I'm sitting here with Chris Hardwick. How's hey, it Ellen. going? How's it going? Hey, Chris, how are you? Good. Now, Pete was just uh, telling a tale that you had reached out to someone to ask me to be in Dumb and Dumber 2, and someone told you that I said no. Is that true? You did not say no. You, you were not available, I believe, at the time. You did not say no. What would the, when was this? No one even asked me. So it, it went to someone who said, oh, he's not available. And I didn't even, that didn't even trickle down to me. Yeah. I would, have, I would have forcibly shoved that into the calendar. But I'm so sorry, Ellen. No, that's okay. I, I'm pretty sure we spoke on the phone. Oh, boy. speak on the phone about it. <laughs> I believe Ellen. No, wait. We spoke, we spoke on the phone, but all you said was, uh, Pete wants to know if you want to drop by the set. And I said, oh, I'm working this date. But no one ever said, do you want to be in the movie? That is a much different conversation. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Well, in any case, I just want to know I wasn't bullshitting no, him. I not. tried to get him in here. Yes, you did. You and I did speak, Alan. Now I do remember this. But you said, hey, uh, we're, we're just in we Pete. Yes, and you said, "Do you want to do you want to drop by the set?" And I said, "I'm so sorry, I'm 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 shooting that day." But if I had if I had known that was the deal to be in yeah. a Fairly Brothers movie, I would have moved the other thing. But I I thought it was just like, "Oh, drop by and visit." And I always feel weird about set visits anyway. No, I feel like I'm I, in the I, way. those are yeah. I mean that but, that I wanted. To, what were we reshooting? Do you remember, Ellen? Yeah, we were doing the um, well. That's 
Oh, okay, yeah. So, um, uh, so yes, we were. There was a little scene where um, we could have put you in. I said you would probably love to be in there. So that's what I was trying to do. But no big deal. That would have been know. amazing. We'll do the next Please, one. Please, I Dumb would love Dumber to. Four, F O R. Thank you. Thanks, Ellen. Okay. Sorry. Th- no, thanks, no Ellen. No worries. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Bye. Poor Ellen is like, what the fuck did I no, just get sucked she, into? No, she should be learning a lesson here that she didn't clarify. You're like, she gotta, you got to clarify. It sounded to me like, hey, do you want to just drop by the set? And so that that was difficult to cancel work yeah. for. But if I, you know. But- okay, let me tell you, one of the worst things that ever happened to me and still eats at me at 3 o'clock in the morning is this. One time um, I was uh, in my office and we used to let friends use my um, uh, room. Uh, we have a big, uh, what do you call it? Like conference room. Yeah. And friends would call and they don't have offices. Hey, can I use your conference room? I got a big me. I say, sure. They come on in and they do it, right? And this one guy had called me, a, a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Rob Moran, and my, my uh, brother in law, uh, Zan Gessner, had, uh, they were trying to get my, the, a movie made of uh, The Comedy Writer, which is a book I wrote. And I told them, they said, can we make this? Do you want to make it? I said, I, I really don't have any interest, but if you got, run with it. If you can set it up, you can have it, right? So one day, um, uh, they come in, they say, hey, there are these guys in the other room. This is probably like 10, 12 years ago. Uh, can you just come in and say hi? I said, yeah, absolutely. So I go in there, and there's guys that are like, this is... You know, uh, uh, Judd, and this is this guy, and this is that guy. Yeah. And I shake hands. I say, how you guys doing? And they say, great. Now, by the way, uh, needless to say, this was Judd Apatow. Right. Now, this was before, like, 40-year-old version, before his career. Like, he really, he was always around. Right. But I didn't know him, but I knew of him. This is post-freaks and geeks. Yes, but I didn't know what he looked like. Right. And um, uh, until, you know, now everybody knows what he looks like. But this was before then, and... But I'd heard of him since I got out here. I remember when he you know, did Cable Guy. I mean, everybody yeah. was like, he's behind Cable Guy. You know, he never got credited and apparently should have. But in any case, uh, he was a, like a, a guy who I was well aware of for many years as being one of the t- you know, top comedy writers in the town. But I didn't know what he looked like. So this happened. And I just went, hey, guys, how's it going? Boom, boom, boom. And then I went back to work. And um, I'm telling you the truth. Five years later... Five years later, uh, Rob says to me, man, it's too bad that Judd Apatow didn't do your book. Huh? I said, yeah, that would have been great. He <laughs> says, he says uh, but we got close with him. I said, when? He says, yeah. remember when he was in the office and you, you met with him? I said, I never met with Judd Apatow in my office. I would remember that. He goes, no, you met with him in the office. I said, when? He says, remember, we had this meeting, and you, I said, come on and say hi. He said, you didn't say it was Judd Apatow. <laughs> you said some guy, Judd. I didn't know that. If you had said the name Apatow, I would have been like, you're fucking kidding me. You got Judd Apatow? I mean, this was before his huge success. But there are when only he was two male Judds in this town. Yeah, but when he, when yeah. but No, there's three. No, there's Judds here and there. But there's it, Judd the, Hirsch and there's yeah. Judd Nelson. No, yeah, I yeah. Nelson. I was, uh, but the fact of the matter is, like, I knew the name Apatow. Every writer in town knew of him of well before he was a huge success. And I would have, I would have not left that room until he signed on the dotted line. You got to do this, man. <laughs> and anyway, there's also I, Ashley Judd. Yeah. Well, and Winona yeah, Judd, they're just, and Naomi Judd. That, that's the thing. Like I always think, Wait, maybe he'll do it must, now. But what a turd he must think I was. Like I come in, hey man, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. How's it going? And then walk out. But you know, not that I shouldn't have treated anybody well. But I, you know, I didn't know it was Judd Apatow. And I would have been a little I'm more. I'm sure you attentive. were nice to him. I'm sure. I'm sure nice I was fine. The only, I wasn't, thing you, the only thing you didn't do was force a pen in his hand and say, "Sign this." Well, I would have like said, like, 
fuck, man, I'm a huge fan. Like, I knew, uh, I knew Cable Guy. I knew all the shit he did, but I just didn't know what he looked like. No one said, Judd Appetite. He says, come on in. There's a couple guys in the room. And it was like, hey, this is Steve. This is Judd. This is Joe. Hey, guys, how you doing? What's up? How's it going? Yeah, we we're talking about this thing. Well, good luck. See ya. That was a fun sketch on SNL, by the way, of this Carey family reunion where everyone did all of the characters at Jim Carrey mm. that I'm sure everyone... Have, did you see it? I did not see it. No. Taron Killam did a fucking great yeah. uh, Ace Ventura. Yes. And, uh, and then someone... Who was it? Was it... Uh, oh, I can't remember who came up from behind the bar and did Cable Guy. It was like... Yeah. Uh, Keenan? No, it wasn't no. Keenan. Uh, was it Jay Farrow? I don't know. I didn't see it. Is Jay, is Jay Farrow on the show now? Yeah. I think it might have been Jay. Is Jay does Jay do Obama? Yes. Yeah, it's Jay. Then Jay Jay did the Jay did the cable guy, and he basically made some joke about like uh, I wasn't popular at the time, but I was a I'm a cult hit or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was it was really good. It was a fun nod. Cable guy's a very funny movie. Yeah, it's Still. very funny, and and it was a, you know it's one of those movies that's more enjoyable the more you see it. But yeah. the point is like there's a lot of like misunderstandings in this town, and I'll tell you one way I found out is because you know we got passed on by at least 150 people, and I'm not exaggerating. 150 different actors passed on Dumb and Dumber, the first one. We were sending it everywhere, and nobody wanted to do it. They all passed, and over the years, I bumped into some of those people, and occasionally I'll never bring it up, but occasionally they say, "Hey, how come you never offered me anything?" I'm like. Well, we did. You offered you Dumb and Dumber. And like, fuck you. I said, no, we did. None of them ever heard of it. They were never... What happens is you think they said no, but really their agents got the call and said, no, they're going to pass. Well, that's why, that's why yeah. I thought maybe Ellen... I'd forgotten Ellen I spoke. I thought she maybe talked to someone... Because sometimes what will happen is someone will say, hey, can you do this thing? And someone who works for me will just look at my schedule and they'll go, oh, no, he's not available this day. Yeah. And so I always just tell people like, Tell me what the thing is, and then I will decide. Well, yeah. Chris, it clearly says here laundry, so you're yeah. busy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad we clarified it before heads started rolling around here. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, but I want to go past. <laughs> it was, like it was had, almost like well, a lotto machine of heads yeah. in here. Chris, like, you, you said you didn't want to do it, remember? Yeah, <laughs> what like, if Ellen was like, you said you would never be seen with Pete <laughs> yeah. Farrelly again. Yeah, what the hell's if, going on? I never... Oh, I'm sorry, bad connection. Yeah. I no, thought no. you were just still reeling from... Uh, from movie forty three, and just said, "No, I'm not going on that. <laughs> I'm not going near them. They're poison." No, my God, please. No, I do remember. She said, "No, I can't make." It. I said, oh, "I was surprised. I thought he'd want to." Of course, wanna... I would have wanted to. Yeah, we we're going to get you in there. Spectacular miscommunication. That is a great. I love it. Yeah, because you probably would have moved stuff. I would have. Yeah. yeah. The only thing I can't move is at midnight shoot time. You can move it. We moved it Tuesday. If I have enough notice. Yeah. But I can't... If, if I have weeks, I can move a shoot time by like an hour. Mm. But if I... But if it's like a day or two before, then I can't, I can't move a shoot time. But mm-hmm. I would totally have... I, listen, the next time, please... Well, you're a busy guy. In fact, I was going to ask you, are you a billionaire? <laughs> Not yet. Because you're, you're like, you know, Merv Griffin. Like, every, you're on everything. I see you, like, you've got a lot going on, there's don't stuff, you? stuff, you know, there's stuff. I, but I, I can't, like, I pick up, like, sometimes I'm flipping around. Like, you're on a show, like, where the fuck is this coming ah. from? You're on so much stuff. You're, like, the go-to guy. It's been fun. It's been fun. Yeah. And, and what's nice about it is just having so many years of not working at all yeah. that it's sort of like, you know, when stuff comes along. And, it, like, this was a bit of a perfect example of something that, you know, hey, that sounds fun. Like that's what's 
I only work on stuff that sounds fun to me. I know, but I and I don't want to like you know. I'm sure this is embarrassing, but you are becoming iconic almost. Like you're no. hitting you're hitting big places at big times where I'm like, wow, this guy. You know, because I do remember you when you were on the red carpet. Like you know, just hey, yeah, how you doing, doing, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah I was doing the yeah. yeah like but I knew you Billy before Bush that. Thing. I remember seeing you do stand up. Yeah, I yeah yeah. We talked about this on the podcast yeah. last time that we met um, maybe at the Improv. I yeah. think. and then I saw you at. Uh, Kevin James's house in like 2003. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. It was like a Thanksgiving yeah. thing. I, it was you, you were there. Yeah, he's a good man. I like Favreau was there. And oh, yeah? a couple other people. I remember yeah. it pretty. Clearly. Oh, he didn't know that. He thought it was just a guy named John and somebody yeah. named. Really? That's Favreau. You gotta be sure. But but what was so amazing? And I said I think I said this last yeah. time when I saw you at Kevin's house. We had met years. No, we had met. I'll tell you where we met. We met at uh, Y107. You came in morning radio to promote There's Something About Mary. Yeah. And we met because you came on the show, and then I ran into you again at the yeah. improv later, but that's where we first met. Yeah, but I had seen you on, do stand up before then. Yes. Yeah. And, and you didn't, we never met, but I was aware okay. of you. But yeah. then, but the fun, the funny part was you. I remember this so clearly you describing There's Something About Mary before anyone else had seen it. Yeah. We were like, yeah, you know, it's just this crazy comedy, and we do a lot of stuff in there that no one's ever done. Like, there's a scene where we put cum in her hair, and it's like the thing that actually ends up becoming like uh. one of the most iconic comedy things uh. in a movie. I remember you very clearly before anyone knew what it was. Just like, oh, we do this, and the movie's really crazy. I specifically remember that interview, and I remember saying this to you. I remember saying, look, I don't know how it's going to do, but I know you're going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're going to like it. I, I do remember that. I remember, I, look, you never know, because we didn't know. America might say, wait, out of your fucking mind? That's awful. You know, that's terrible. You can't do that. We did not know. It wasn't out yet, but I knew you'd like it. Uh, that was, that's so great. Yeah. And that was, there's something about Mary. Yeah. Well done. Well done. But it's fun to be around long enough to, you know, yeah. just see, like, just, like, watch where people go and yeah. how they develop and what's what's been going on. Yeah. God damn, morning radio almost fucking killed me. That's like you're getting up at 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. And your day is, like, you've already had a full day by noon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I and, I, yeah, that's, I, see, I'm a night owl, so that would be... Like this, this feels like morning to me. I'm like crying thinking about that. Like, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. Do it every morning? No, I can't do that. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Although yeah. Howard pulls it off, you know, Howard makes it. Yeah, but he always, re- yeah. always will go. I'm so fucking tired. I'm so yeah. miserable. <laughs> I mean, how much longer can I do this? You know, even at this, point, he always says that. Even at this point, if he if he just didn't do it anymore, he's done it for so long. He would instinctively just get up at that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, this is what, you know, now, because the truth is, you know, obviously I've I've known of Howard for 30 years, but I didn't start listening to Howard until two years ago when I got serious radio. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not an early bird. I'm never up in the morning, but I'd hear a story. But you hear what Howard did today, that Howard did this. I was always a fan of Howard's. And in fact, I went to the premiere of his movie somehow in New York, and that's another story. But what... uh, uh, I never met Howard, but uh, just about two years ago, got serious, and now it's on all day long. Oh, it's so great. And I am a huge fan. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, my God. When he does an interview, it's, there's nothing better than Howard doing an interview. You know, when he's like, when, they, when they're bantering, they got an hour to kill, it's, yeah, it's okay. I can listen. When he's doing an interview, there's just, he'll ask anything. Hey, you bang that chick? Yeah. Is yeah, that, how is is that the essential quality of Howard? Because there were so many Howard knockoffs after Howard that yeah. basically no, just... They, I, well, I think with with Stern, the beauty of Stern is that he 
He does a little bit of like bobbing and weaving before he takes a right, meaning that he sort of will ease people into being comfortable on that couch, and then because he has the time to do it, and then he hits them with, and then he and then he just asks the question that everyone is wondering, and no one's ever asked. And also, he's he's very disarming too, because he just is like a dude. Yeah, he's very affable. He just talks to you like a dude, and uh, he's very um, he's very natural and and. He's great. And, but the thing is, he is the original. Because oh, yeah. when I lived in New York in the mid-80s. I was in grad school. And uh, at the time, I was just poor, living in a little hovel, broke, bartending. And I, my buddy was going out with one of the coconuts from Kid Creole and the Coconuts. Remember the band? <laughs> yeah. yeah. There were the three girls. <laughs> sure. And they were, were the great. Coconuts? Oh, they were sensational. These three girls, uh, the one I remember was uh, Cheryl Poirier. She was sensational. As a person, beauty, everything. And my buddy was going out with her. And so he would occasionally call me and say, hey, the coconuts are playing down at the so-and-so. You want to come? So I'd, you know, they'd actually come by, pick me up in a limousine you know, up in Harlem and take me down there. It was, it was great. They, and then we'd be backstage, we'd meet people. But they were the first ones that told me about Howard. They'd gone on Howard's show back then. And I don't remember where he was, but they're like, this guy is un." Fucking believable. He is so funny. The shit he was asking, the way he was talking, it was groundbreaking stuff. Nobody had ever done anything like that. And that was, you know, and then that's been, you know, copied many, many times since, but he is But never, but you can't, you still can't, because, uh, you know, for the longest time, all the Howard knockoffs would just, uh, you know, just say, like, hey, you banging that chick? But it wasn't, it's not organic. Like, He's so... Um, it feels like him. It's him. And other guys, like, when, you know, other guys did it, and I don't want to mention names, but it feels like they're trying to be... They're doing an act. They're yeah. trying to be Howard. They're trying to be shocking, or they're trying yeah. to be provocative. Yeah. Howard's and, the real deal. And also, and also uh, he has the thing that I think is very important, which is you feel like he's your buddy because he opens up about himself. In I mean, like, he's pretty... Seems pretty open. I gotta tell you, the small penis thing is fascinating to me. Like he, <laughs> he's like at first I thought, well, it's just a joke. It's a nice way, self-deprecating. But now I'm thinking, is it really well, that small? Measured it. In he's the... he seems to be too big. He's too tall, and he's Jewish. They and th- those are they, all, that's all the guys not on known staff. for small penises. All, all, all the guys measured? on staff, Fred and Gary and 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 Howard, they all measured. Did they? Yeah, full uh, mass. I feel like it, or... yeah, full mass. I, be- I feel like it was the early 2000s. Maybe I think maybe when they got to satellite or right before, and uh, I feel like Howard's was like just a little over six or something like that. No, like it was like well, that's a normal right. size, an average size penis. Yeah, no, he, he's such a tall man. He probably assumes it should be nine and a half. Yeah, he makes it seem inches. like way smaller. But I mean, I suppose in looking at him, yeah, it probably does look. Yeah, out of proportion. So, by the way, when we went to my wife and I uh, went to uh, the movie premiere, Howard's uh, private parts. Private parts. We got invited. Which we know it's six we, inches. We went. And we had, we had a ball, and uh, while there, we were uh, we just had our first child, we had a little baby and boy. And when we were there, we saw um, Ron Jeremy, uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> and we took a picture. Uh, me, my wife, and Ron between us. And we sent that to select friends that Christmas as our Christmas card. You know, Pete, Melinda, and the baby, Bob. <laughs> Seriously, we sent that out to about 15 or 20 friends. <laughs> you, know, the, you know, the stocking and Yuletide stuff all around it. Yeah. The hedgehog. He's still, he's still kicking around, isn't he? Ron Jeremy sure is, yeah. 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 
unfortunately. Is he still having sex with ladies on camera? I believe, I believe he's still doing it. He had that heart attack situation. Like oh, couple, did he? A couple months back. Well, a dick that back. big requires a lot of blood. I know. I think he mm. pulled through. I still see him popping up in like weird popping B up? movies. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. He's always popping up movies. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing I like, you know, what you're saying about Stern is I like the... The stuff, even when they don't have a guest, I could just listen to that show yeah. forever. Like I love it when like a guest is supposed to come in and then doesn't show up or something like that, and then they have like the whole four hours where it's just talking to Fred and Robin and like taking calls from the whack pack. It's so fucking Yeah, funny. but when he hits somebody like like he he uh, somebody I'm really interested in and he asks all the oh, questions sure. that I want. Like yeah. he did an interview with um uh, Daryl Hall, uh, you know, mm-hmm. this long interview that was just sh- really great, like really great. Where I, I'm a huge Hall and Oates fans, mm-hmm. fan, you know, Abandoned Luncheonette. For people who don't know that album, by, by the way, that's early Hall and Oates. It's not the stuff like, you know, Man Eater and that stuff. Right. It's way before that. Uh, it, that's one of the top, my top five favorite albums of all time. The only one song you know on that is gone, uh, She's Gone. You know? yeah. She's Gone, oh, wow. That album, top to bottom, is as good as it gets. And I've been a fan of theirs, theirs since that album. But anyway, they, he got on, and he was hitting them with questions and asking like where the songs came from. Where, I could not get enough of it. I think I listened to it like three days in a row, make sure I heard correctly some of the answers. Because, you know, they keep running them. You know? Well, we just had that Bill Murray interview that was awesome. That was great. Yeah. I'm I'm a big Hall and Oates fan too. Abandoned Luncheonette. My wife, when I met my wife, I mentioned Hall and Oates. She, what? Are you kidding me? No, come on. Because they were so poppy. Eventually, <laughs> she thought that they, you know, it was like, you know, like when I mentioned Jay Giles, she was like, "Come on, give me a break." Centerfold. Ah. I said, "No, no, no. I'm talking Full House, Jay Giles. I'm talking Bloodshot, Jay Giles. Early Jay Giles. Jay Giles. The album Full House is is." arguably the best live uh, album of all time. It was picked that, uh, it's been picked that many, you know, it's really an incredible album. And um, in any case, same thing with Hall & Oates. Like she was listening, she was thinking poppy Hall & Oates, rich girl, you know, which I, I happen to like that, but she thought they were a little, you know, too poppy. They, they were great. Though. But Hall that early stuff they had was incredible. Yeah, the Hall, the, did you see them at the Hall of Fame? Rock and no. Roll Hall of Fame. They just got inducted last year. The Hall year. of Notes of Fame. That's they did say that. Good. Well, the funny part is that they got in, inducted, but on Howard's show, Daryl Hall was saying, "Fuck them! Nah. I don't give a fuck if I ever get in the Hall of Fame, assholes." He was. I thought, "Uh oh, <laughs> he'll never get in now," and he did. You know, yeah. but it took a few years. That's they deserved it. The what they deserved it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, Questlove inducted them. Oh, did he really? Yeah, Philly. Oh, that's yeah. nice. He's from Philly. Yeah. He always hated, like, Daryl, this is the thing, like, he hated the blue-eyed soul tap. You know, they were yeah. called blue-eyed soul. He said, that is so insulting. That's so racist. He goes, why can't it just be soul? Yeah. We were soul singers. Blue-eyed soul makes it seem like it's soul light, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Soulless. Yeah. You blue-eyed soulless. I did see them on tour when I was in grade school. Like, uh, I can't remember what tour it was. But it was way into the poppy stuff. Yeah. It was way, 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 way into the poppy stuff. Well, it's like I saw, I, I was at Bonnaroo this year and I saw Elton John played and it, it was, he was amongst many, many yeah. great bands. Um, but Elton John played and the first half of his thing was, I couldn't, it was unbelievably good. He was playing like, you know, Yellow Brick Road and all the early stuff. Yeah. And then, Unfortunately, the second half, he, he's into like Philadelphia Freedom and, mm. you know, other things that were just poppy, not as good, yeah. you know, as his early stuff. And the second half of the of the show, for me, 
was sort of downhill, but the audience was like, yay! You know, they hear something, but... the uh, I saw him and Billy Joel do that face-to-face tour yeah. where they both had their pianos up on stage, full band. It was fucking awesome. Yeah. Because they would each, like, come out and do a crazy hit and play together, and then Billy would sing a Elton John song and then reverse. Elton would sing a Billy Joel song. It was I want to awesome. see that. It was awesome. Is, well, there, is there a concert film of that somewhere? Oh, there must be, right? They sell yeah. anything. I like the deep tracks. You know, like, I like, like, if I'm seeing Bruce, I like to hear the stuff off Asbury Park and The Wild and the Innocent, the oh, first sure. couple albums, but he'll play a couple off of those, but he won't go deep in them because he's got so many hit songs that people want to hear, and it's, you know, I like hearing the, the under, well, the yeah, little he's also ones. a guy that can play uh, 50 different songs, and they're all hits. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's, right. that gets tougher. What's a he's good... not like one of these, like, Spin Doctors types that has to close and open with two princes. So what's a good... What's your favorite deep-cut Billy Joel song? Uh, that's a good question. I, I personally don't know his deep cuts. What about Elton John? Elton John would be, like, you know, stuff off uh, um, uh, Madman Across the Water. And, you know, there's a bunch of little songs on there. And, and like, for Bruce, for instance... Like, I, I love, you know, well, I wouldn't say Rosalita is a deep one, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the early stuff, meeting, uh, well, the meeting across the river is on the other one, or is it? Uh, you know, just the stuff that you don't hear on the yeah. radio anymore. Yeah. Like, you know, I, that, that's the thing. I, I remember when, you know, I was into Bruce early from uh, Greetings from Asbury Park, and then he did The Wild and the Innocent, and he was unknown. I mean, people still didn't know him. He had a small following in the Northeast. But when he was on the cover, when Born to Run came out, he was on the cover of Time and Newsweek the same week. It's the first time any non-political figure was ever on the cover of Time and Newsweek the same week. And it put him, it, he exploded, and I remember being sick to my stomach about it. I was like, uh... You thought you lost him? Yeah. It's like seeing your girlfriend on the cover of Time and Newsweek. It's like, oh, my God, they all know. <laughs> it's done. So you did, did you feel like you appreciated him less after that, or you just had to share him with people that you, weren't, that you didn't really like? I just like? didn't like to share him. No, I appreciate him just as much, and, and later albums were probably better. Like, you know... Uh, like I love the river, and you know uh, he had so many. So know. when people when people come up and be like, "Have you heard this Bruce Springsteen?" You're like, "I know, I know." Yeah. <laughs> now I was a little uh, covetous of him. Like he was like our guy, and we saw him at the Palace. You know, he would play at the Palace in Providence, and it would be like two thousand people. And it was just the best show ever. And um, yeah, it was just sad to see him. Uh, it, it, it was a weird feeling to see him get so big, uh, but. Still love him, love everything about him. He's the only guy I've ever met who I cannot talk around. Oh, Too really? Nervous? Yeah, I can't talk. I can't speak. My wife, like, I met him a couple times at places. Do you know, he was like, hey, man, I liked it when you put that cum in that girl's hair. Yeah, well, he actually did do that. He said, like, hey, you're the Dumb and Dumber guy. Hey, let me get my kids. He pulled his kids over. Hey, <laughs> kids, this is the Dumb and Dumber guy. I was just standing there. I, all I want to say is, like, I fucking love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you fucking changed my life, man. I my high school, it's all. It wouldn't. I wouldn't have had it without you, man. <laughs> you know, like I don't know what to say. And yeah. my wife, like I've come up. My wife doesn't give a shit. And she's like, "Hey, how you doing, Bruce? How are you, Melinda?" And then after she's, "What's the matter with you?" I said, "I can't talk around him. I just can't do it." By the way, I've met presidents. Sure. And I, I'm like, "Hey, hey, what's up? What's how you doing, man?" I, Bruce. Yeah. He, I know for a fact that Bruce thinks I'm a complete asshole because I've met him 
probably three, four times now, and I'm always a complete imbecile. No, maybe he thinks you're cool. He's like, hey, man, that Pete Fairley's pretty cool around me. I want to know what makes him tick. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really don't. I think he thinks, wow, this is an odd dude. Because it, and he did one nice thing, where he, which was, I uh, saw him somewhere, and I just watched his VH1 special. Uh, uh, storytellers yep. thing mm-hmm. where he gets up and he sings a song acoustically and then he explains the song which yeah. is spectacular and I'd come home at like 2 in the morning I was out and flipped on the TV and it was just beginning I was like oh, fuck so I watched the whole thing to like 4 in the morning and he says like you know Indians in the summer Indians that was my little league baseball team really you know that kind of shit explaining all the songs and I saw him somewhere and I went over I said I, I saw your VH1 thing man it- I couldn't turn it off I was I came home 2 in the morning, I was exhausted, and I watched it till 4 in the morning. It was so good. And about a week later, I got a little package at my office from Bruce Springsteen. What? He said, here's a few uh, uh, more uh, things that we cut out of it. The extended version. He says, uh, great seeing you, you know, Bruce. Oh, come on. That's awesome. I framed it. The, the, The letter, the note that he sent me. That's that had to. I mean, how, I, that's yeah. How long? How long did it take you to come down from that? Well, that's Bruce. I mean, he's Bruce's. You know, there's few people on the planet that uh, there are a few people on the planet that you feel like are like higher beings, and Bruce is that kind of guy. Like, it's not just the music; it's the way everything. Like, I agree with every damn thing that comes out of his mouth. Like, whenever he's behind a cause, I'm behind that cause, and it's not because he's behind it. It's like he just. I, he never is off. Like, he never says, like, you know, something like, what? Like, you know, I'm against gay marriage. I'm like, that would be a bummer. You know, like, why are you against gay marriage? Oh, that'd be awful. Marriage. You know, <laughs> that'd but, be terrible. like, he never, he'll never hit you with something that's shocking and, 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 and disturbing. He always, his heart is, in my mind, always in the right place. Like, you know, like, I don't give a sh- I I'm glad people, gay, I want gay people to be able to get married. Why shouldn't they be able to get married? You know, if they're in love, get married. What's the big deal? Let's do it, right? right? We, want the, we want happiness in this world. And if, they're, if you're keeping them from being, well, that's Bruce's thing. Bruce is like, he's just, just to be around him, you could feel it. He's like a, he's like a. He just old, wants everyone to be happy. He's an old soul. Well, and, you know, Bruce and Howard, I'm, I'm really interested in guys who are able to stay relevant and on top of their game for 30, 40, you know, 50 years yeah. to be able to maintain a certain level and never veer off or never lose because it's, it's it's easy to do that. It's hard it's it's very difficult to stay on track and oh, somehow, yeah. you know, there's something about these types of people that, you know, they don't once they hit it, they don't go crazy or they don't or they're at least they're able to contain it. Yeah. And they don't waver. You know, yeah. after all those after all those years. I yeah, well, when guys are is. true to themselves, you know, and you know, but that's not saying Bruce hasn't made mistakes in his life. Yes, because they're all human, and I'm sure he's made a million mistakes. But he's just got a good soul, and uh, you know, if I knew the name of a Bruce Springsteen album, that would have been my joke there. Uh, <laughs> born, born in the USA. Oh, born, there you go. Yeah. He never made mistakes except for Born in the USA. Yeah. Well, I don't. Uh, you know, Bruce is. One I never of, got into the boss. I don't know why. You I came like in late. Been, You're too young. You came in. No, you I, came I, in I late. Think, I think I came in slightly too late yeah. too, because you know my first exposure to Bruce Springsteen was Dancing in the Dark on yeah. MTV, because that's the exact age that I was, right. and that's where I would have found him. Right. 
And uh, well, it's probably as much as, Cox. I'm sure you like this guy, but you probably don't understand him as much as someone who came up with him, Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Sure. Now, Dylan and and, and Dylan and, and Springsteen they have similar in, in this way that Dylan broke a ground like there was nothing like Dylan. He was suddenly telling these long songs, do, telling these long stories in song, and it was like you know basically like a Pete. Seeger type thing or a uh, Woody Guthrie, but he was doing it in a not just an acoustic way. He went electric and he did all sorts of stuff. And you know, uh, he 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 changed. Nobody had done that, right? And that's what Bruce did. See, nineteen seventy three, seventy four, seventy five. When I'm in high school, that was a shitty time for music. Sixties and early seventies were great, but all of a sudden, literally, disco duck was all over the radio. <laughs> And, and <laughs> Rick Dees. it was horrible. Like that was like the number one song. And like number two was like Neil Sedaka. And there was a bunch of shit on this music. And all of a sudden this guy comes out of nowhere. And what he did is it was sort of, to me, it was like a mixture of Dylan and Van Morrison where he, he combined like a Dylan kind of like storytelling thing where he would r- ramble on. And then he threw horns in there. And it, it, it I, the first Minute I heard him, I was madly in love with that sound, and it changed everything for me. And I was obsessed, as were most guys. You could talk to anybody who graduated from high school in the seventies; they're Bruce fans because Bruce broke ground. Bruce came when we needed him, and I understand why. If you are turned on to him in the eighties, you don't quite understand what he meant to us older. But guys. also, I also kind of wonder, and this is no slight to anyone who is not an East Coaster. But I feel like a lot of his stories were like East Coast lore. Yeah. And if you weren't an East Coaster, I think maybe it was a little harder to find an inroad to all of the, the, the depth of what it was that he was saying. Now, I, I know that there are a lot of people who are not from the East Coast that are way into it, and I get it. But I think, I think kind of telling those stories at that time that felt, you know, sort of uh, – that, that felt kind of, you know, intimate – yeah, I felt like you, you know, being an East Coaster, you probably had a much better understanding. Oh, I mean, I, 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 I was aware of him, and and and, but it just for some reason, I just never, it never hooked me. Like, yeah, for some reason, I'm, no, I'm because, a big supporter yeah. of bands with black saxophone players. Yeah, <laughs> Dave Matthews my favorite band, band is yeah. Dave Matthews Band. So okay. I enjoy, I enjoy that. Yeah. But for some reason, I, I enjoy long jams. I'll sit yeah. down for twenty five minutes while you do something. Right. I'll enjoy that. But for that reason, there's I, okay now you hit something that I I really love Dave Matthews because to me to go to uh you know the, the Hollywood Bowl and have Dave Matthews jamming for like four hours yeah. when when I have like you know a couple cocktails and you know and just hanging around there's I could stay there for ten hours I love that kind Thank of jam the I think first we just person found the first guest in six hundred episodes who just bonded with Matt about Dave Matthews band with me about are you the Dave kidding Matthews me band. if if you see Dave Matthews band jam it, it is a it is true art when it's, those guys go they're all so fucking good yeah they are all I, so good yeah. at their instruments no they're unbelievably good and it's a it's 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 like uh, what do you call it? The band from Vermont. What's the thing? Fish. You know, it's a fish type thing. Where the more they go, the deeper they go. I guess you know the, the dead type thing. But this is such a high energy and such a pleasantness. It's way better than listening to an album. I'm telling yeah. you, yeah. like you don't get it from listening to his album. Right. To see him live is a whole different thing, and it is 
it just makes you feel happy to be alive. It's it, that's what it, his live shows are spectacular. So it's like Sting I've, meets Parliament meets a pair of sandals. No, it's fucking. Okay. Uh, I've seen him forty six times. Yeah, and uh, it, I, you know, I, there's there's like a a year where I'm like, ah, when they took that year off last year, I think, or the year before. They took the year off touring, and then I... Oh, I remember how sad you were when that they, was announced. Yeah, and they came back, and then I was like, oh, am I still doing this? And I was like, I guess I'll do it. And then I went up to, uh, where'd I go, Irvine? Uh, yeah, I went I to Irvine. Know. We weren't September. tracking you at that point. It was so fucking, it was still so good. No, it's, so a, great, good. it's a great thing, and it is a, so it is a, uh, it is a live thing, I think. Yeah. I don't think, I don't, I've never heard an album of his where I could get that, what you get live. When you are seeing him live, it just... Yeah, it's two different pieces. I yeah. feel like his yeah. he's a guy that like his songs aren't done until he's toured with them for two years. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he puts out the album and that's the skeleton and then when he tours with it for two years, after that, then you're hearing that's how the song should be. Yeah. That's where he adds all the CG and puts Jabba in the Yeah, and Andy Circus is in a mocap suit. <laughs> <laughs> you get all the extended cuts. Yeah. yeah. Oh. You know, they, he got so big so fast uh, also that there was sort of a little, maybe people just saying, uh, you know, uh, that's too much. They were playing too much of his stuff, but at, for a while there, yeah. when he first broke, that was like 94. 94, yeah. It was 94 yeah. because yeah. we did the first couple episodes of this show that I used to do called Singled Out at Spring Break in Lake Havasu for MTV. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> The band who was on right before we did our show was the Dave Matthews Band, and I had lunch with them, and uh, they were very sweet. And up to that point, they were sort of like um, – I don't want to say like uh, – sort of like a col- – like where they were known with that colleges. Like yeah, they, they, they were, were the, big in the, college, they, they the were Northeast the, College. They were the ty- – the, Oh, they were in the – they were, no, they they were, were in the, the college mid, mid-Atlantic. They, yeah, and they, they were they were out of uh, Virginia, Charlottesville, and they worked all the way down like from like North oh, Carolina, they were down to Atlanta. Yeah, they were the Mid Atlantic yeah. uh, and they college. Would, and circuit. he would and he basically the story behind they got out to Boston. The story behind him that I heard was that uh, got there. he sold <laughs> he sold shit tons of basically CDs out of his trunk, kind of a band. Yeah, you know, like they would just tour the colleges and sell a bunch and. And that he had that, you know, like that was his uh, their first release. Remember two things, yeah, which was an independent release, and then. Yeah, Under the Table and Dreaming is 20 years old this November, everybody. Oh, as is Dumb and Dumber 1. (gasps) What? No! No, How did that happen? Isn't that weird? We're just letting it go where it wants to go. How did that happen? It comes right back. came right back to it. Oh, how did that happen? Um, but I'm not getting, I'm not trying to get us back Dumb and Dumber 1 because I could, no, I could talk, talk about Dave Matthews. I, I'm a, uh. I was a convert because I didn't understand Dave Matthews till I saw him live. Yeah. And someone dragged me to it, and I was like, eh, yeah, I like Dave Matthews. I, I didn't dislike him, but when I saw the show, yeah. I was a, a convert. i got to get you over to one at some point. It really is something else. It really is a very pleasant show to see. It's extremely yeah. nice. It's great. Yeah. I will go with you what? sometime yeah. so that I can... Try to better understand my friend's obsessions. I would, I would appreciate that. Are so you I, guys? You know what's a nice show? It's a completely different show, by the mm-hmm. way. There's nothing. The energy that he has is like crazy. I mean, and oh, the musicianship yeah. is just yeah. nuts. But uh, and this is like kind of a side. I'm going sideways because it's a completely different kind of show. But have you ever seen Jonathan Richman? No, I've never seen him. Okay, live. Jonathan Richman. He goes up just some guitar and he has a drummer. He was in something about Mary. Something about Mary. He's the only guy I've ever seen that it were uh, he'll, he'll come to L.A. like once or twice a year and mm-hmm. he'll play in front of like 200 people and uh, 250, something like that. And he is 
Uh, the only guy I've ever watched who uh, actually I, I well up watching. Really? Yeah, I get emotional because he's so. He did the song. He did the theme song to Foxwoods. He's he's an artist. He's a poet, and his his poetry is so beautiful, so simple. So simplistic. Like, what he talks about, let's like, do a song about the corner store, and he talks about the corner store when he was a kid. And I swear, I get emotional uh, listening to him. And it's a very low-key, like, everybody's quiet. If no one's quiet, he'll stop. Excuse me, I'm singing over here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, he has to have just complete silence. And he just has his drummer, Tommy Larkin, and himself. And you you want to see a real like it's it's like kind of like a uh it's like one of those what what do you call it like uh what do you call it? live art shows what are those performance art performance, performance art, yeah. art almost only it's it's true you know he 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 can write beautiful songs but it's so different than anything you've seen and it's a that's one like if i sit back Go well. I could just sit and listen to him sing all night long, but it's a completely different he thing. He probably plays at Largo, right? That's that's a couple hundred seats. I feel like he's a troubadour guy, right? Where where, where does he play when he comes down? No, nah, he wouldn't fill a troubadour. He goes to little places like the smaller like places, offbeat places, and you know sometimes like I've seen him. I saw him in Santa Barbara last year. He played in front of it must have been like eighty people. You know this, but it is. I've seen him. I've probably seen him twenty times, but yeah. I have never been disappointed. I always get emotional and i feel invigorated from him he makes you glad to be alive he he he's a real like a uh, musical yoga yeah no it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing seeing him you just remember why you like music so much cuz it's and if you don't never heard one of his songs it doesn't matter yeah it like i remember the first time i saw him someone dragged me to i knew one of his songs roadrunner which he never plays and uh but i sat there and i was like misty watching him hmm. do you ever talk to him yeah, 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 I talked to him. Can you maybe he's, you should convince him to put on a show? He, he, you mean come on here? Yeah. Are you kidding me? I oh, come have down tomorrow. I, he lives. You know what he does when he's not playing? It's, okay, this is a true artist. He, um, you know, there was an article written in Rolling Stone. God, it's got to be twenty, twenty-five years ago. You know, he was in Jonathan uh, Richmond, the Modern Lovers, back in the early seventies, out of Boston. They worked at Spit, which is considered the first you know, pre-CBGBs first punk club in the country and he was just a guy that go up there and he had his band and they play and the record companies came flying to him and they said you're the guy you're the face you're the one he said no i don't want to do that They're like well, what do you mean said, that's not what i want to do i don't want to be the guy i just want to do what i do walked away from it and they plucked guy like what happened is a couple of guys from his band went to the talking heads mm-hmm. jerry uh, harrison and uh, and then uh, other guy, another guy went somewhere else. And then they, you know, the Talking Heads and and you know all those groups that took off. Then Blondie, those guys, they looked up to him. He was a guy, and he just didn't want that. And he still doesn't want it. Like I've called him up and you know tried to get him to do. He's just an iconoclast who follows his own uh, you know beat. And when he's not on the road, uh, he is a bricklayer. What? He's a bricklayer. That's what he does. Kind of brilliant. Yeah, he's a bricklayer up in uh, outside San Francisco, and he takes it very seriously. He like he uh, loves like making stone walls and uh, all that kind of stuff. And he that's what he does. And he's he's pure. He's totally pure. He lives you know hand to mouth. He's never made a lot of money. He could he could have done a lot of things to make money, but he doesn't care about money. Money means nothing to him. And by the way. He's a little, a little socially funny. Like when you meet him, he's a little like, 
He's got kind of a look like like a guy who did a lot of acid in mm-hmm. the 60s. He's never done a drug in his life. He's had about three beers in his life. Because when I met him, I said, did you, did you do a lot of drugs in the 60s? <laughs> he says, no, I never did a drug. I said, come on. He says, I've never smoked a joint, never done anything. I said, really? He goes, no, I'm just... I'm How not. old is he? Probably 62. Is he really? Wow. Yeah. Well, he was 21, 22 back in the early 70s. So, yeah, he's, he's probably you know, in the 60s. But he's, he's, he is a, uh, he's an artist. He's the a, he's a real deal. I mean, he, he, he's as pure as they come. I like the idea of just brickwork. Yeah. Matt's been building stuff in his... First of all, he built a shed yeah. that he's now building other things in. Oh, it's the best. Like, the day... I had a day where I just had to paint the shed... Yeah. After a, we had eight weeks of at midnight, and then we finally had a week hiatus, and then I, my girlfriend left town on uh, Friday, and then I just had the Saturday. I was like, oh, I got to paint the shed, and then I just went out there, didn't even have music on, and I just painted the sh- like did three coats on the shed, eight by twelve shed, and it was the most gratifying day of my life because when I when I stopped, there was a painted shed. Yeah. There was just something about oh, like yeah. doing something where you can immediately see. The gratification of that. Yeah. It's just like, and then I built a fireplace mantle over the week that I was off. I was like, eh, might as well. Jonathan would come here in a heartbeat. Like, I I will happily reach out to him because, uh, you know, he does travel around here and there and he would do it, but he's just, he doesn't seek things out. Like, if I call him and said, hey, you got to go on the show. We were talking about you. They want you to come on, you know, come in and play your thing. He, I'm sure he would do it. Oh, that'd be that'd be super fun. We'll go. We could do it in um, like go to Swing House or something and record it yeah. in a studio and have him play. You don't need much room. You could do it right here. I'm, tell, <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Like this he, is not the right best here. room for this. This the, the acoustics in this room are even bad for talking. I don't think they'd be really good for music. Oh yeah, because of the brick. He'd look at the brick, and first of all, he'd probably be able to tell you what was wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> One time, I went to visit him in San Francisco. And uh, he, uh, I went up to with my wife and kids. We were going up, so we called him and we hooked up. And he goes through periodic times where he, he doesn't talk because he wants to save his voice. Sure. And uh, so we were with him like a whole day, and he never said a word. He just wrote on pieces of paper and handed oh, yeah. it to me the whole day. Well, I hope he's not going through one of those when no. he comes on the podcast. No, that would be annoying. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan says, I don't want to talk because it's going to fuck up my voice. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So then but whole- he'll sing. But he'll sing. Yeah. Well, we'll have him on. Yeah, yeah, we'll absolutely have him on. That'd be grand. So how did it feel? Okay, so now that we've come full circle, yeah. how did it feel? T- and by the way, I enjoy that the theme of the podcast has been like pure, authentic, uh, s- stable artist people who are true to themselves. Yeah. And have, it's kind of nice. We've, all, we've, come, we've come around. We've hit a lot of good names. And now here we are. Yeah. 20 years later. Yeah. It, uh, Pete, what did it feel like to get back onto the set with the guys? Well, you know, people, the, some people have asked me like, how long did it take till they got it back? First take, first five seconds. It yeah. was I- I- instant. You know, they were both instantaneously back, and I'm, I'm, I literally mean the first take. They did the first take, and we all stopped and looked at each other like, yes. <laughs> you know, it was so. It was like we had never left. It was they were immediately back to it and just off to the races. And also because, you know, we always have fun on our sets because we go out of our way to have fun because it should be fun. And we we really um, uh, like you know. And I we, we, I've probably talked about this before, but people say you know, comedy's hard work. Well, we feel it shouldn't be. It should be really fun, happy work. And 
for guys to take chances in comedy, they have to feel really comfortable with the crowd. Of course. So we just make it a really happy, like, come on, let's go out and party feeling. And then and during the day, everybody's having a good time. And um, But this on this set, more than any, uh, those two love each other. Jim and Jeff have a love for each other. And the reason they do is because Jeff is the most giving actor ever. Who was all he does is think, how can I make this better for Jim? What does Jim need? He really does. Because Jim needs a lot of room. Jim tries lots of different things. And Jeff only reacts to Jim. So he wants Jim to be able to try all these things and then he will react appropriately to each one. That's why you can watch Dumb and Dumber more than once because one time you can watch it and you're seeing what Jim does and then the next time you watch that same scene but you see how Jeff reacts to what Jim does and that's what makes it great. Like I always think of the scene where they picked up uh, Joe Mental hitchhiking in the first one <laughs> and they pull up and Jim says, I don't know, we don't normally pick up hitchhikers and Jim's just behind him like glaring at Joe Mental, you know, angry, and then Jim says, but I got a good feeling. I got to take a chance on this one. And right on that, Jeff just goes smiley like, yeah, he's <laughs> whatever Jim thinks, he thinks. And, um, and he, that's how he treats it. So he knows uh, he basically hands everything over to Jim, and Jim knows that Jeff does this. Jim knows that Jeff, Jeff's allowing him to do what he does. And, uh, and also, you know, and so they have total respect for each other. How was Kathleen Turner? Fantastic. Like an old-time movie star. Like, just like you would hope she would be. Like, uh, you know, comes in like, hey, darling, how you doing? You want to go see us get a martini? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I would like to go get a martini. <laughs> Great, I'll meet you down there in 20 minutes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, no, she was, she was great. Like, I thought she'd be a little standoffish, you know. Not at all. She was like, hey, it's a Friday night. What are you guys doing? Let's get the hell out there. <laughs> Seriously. Like, okay. Um, we were thinking of doing something. Okay, pick me up in my room, 630. You know, she was just game for everything. We had fun. She was really a lot of laughs. Yeah. Uh, and Rachel Melvin is coming on the podcast. Oh, she's uh, fantastic. Who is uh, fantastic. In the, yeah. She's really funny. Oh, she's, she's great. really, really funny. She was great, sweet, fun, the whole thing. She, we, we had never seen her before. I never heard of her. I don't, she's done a few things, apparently, but she came in and read and just knocked our socks off, uh, which is uh, great. She just, we didn't know her. Nobody was pushing her. We weren't getting calls from agents. Hey, you got to hire this woman. You know, you get that at the studio. This woman's good, you know. But she just came in and was the one. You know, we just, man, that's her. You know, yeah, let's, let's not fight it, you know. That's the one. So she she was great, uh, and she did a fantastic job. By the way, that's my least favorite part of making a movie is the actual casting because of that. Like, you see, like, 50 or 60 or 100, you know, actors for one role, and there's going to be four or five that are neck and neck, neck and neck. And then you, the good ones, you have come back once and then twice, and then you narrow it down, then you're down to, like, three. And it's kind of like you could pick any of them, and it's always... The hard part is, you know, you, you can only pick one, and then 99 you didn't pick. And you feel bad because there's a lot of good ones out there. But yeah. she, she, she kind of stood out on this one. And also, you can have people come in the room that you're really excited about, and then for whatever reason, it's just not there that day. Yeah. But that was the chance that... We try, you know, I always... I've done, uh, we haven't really done any TV, but I executive produced a show once, and I could not believe the process of 
What show? Were, what show was that? Uh, it was called. Um, uh, it, 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 um, what is it called? <laughs> my brain shot. It was. Called, it wasn't you know my what? show. Cut it was back on the Dave Matthews. No, concerts. it was called. Um, it was uh, back in the '80s. Uh, shit. Uh, I mean, back in the '80s. Back in the '80s. I mean, back. <laughs> I, I mean, early this decade. Uh, back. Peter, in, I'm going to check your IMDb and uh, tell you what show you executed. Was it? Uh, was it Manimal? Was uh, it? No, um, it was called um, Facts you know, of Life. When they get cut, when they get like you know, I, I block them out. You know, I don't. I don't live with the the defeats. But it was only on for like half a year. And it had a fantastic cast. I had nothing to do with it, by the way. I Pete Fairley's Fun Time Cocktail Hour? Huh? No. No. Record producer. Come on, look. You know. <laughs> Got to be in there somewhere. It's there. Even the internet. TV show? TV. Fox. Unhitched. Unhitched. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Unhitched, yeah. It is so, unhitched and, from and your un- brain. Unhitched the cast. Uh, we had quite a cast there, didn't we? Yeah. Who was in it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah, it's loading. We had uh, Yeah. Yeah, before the office. Craig Bierko. Bierko, who was hysterical. Craig Bierko. Uh, Pat, oh, Pat Finn, Aaron Hayes. I know both of them. Very funny. Well, we had some great people. In any case, um, uh, the point of the story is, by the way, I should have remembered that. The reason I don't is because once something gets canceled, it's a king. I just don't live with it. You know, it's like gone. I move on. But in any case... Um, so I couldn't believe the casting process for television. And this is what it is. You're in a room is about twice this big. It's yep. not big. This is a very small room we're in, I'll mm-hmm. tell your, your listeners. And there are probably 40 people jammed into the room. And a lot of them are execs, studio execs, network execs, and their assistants. And they come in, and they, they, each actor comes in. Nobody says, hey, man, how you doing? You having a good day? There's no, no it's, like, it's like walking into a meat locker. Yeah, it's they come freezing. in, and they literally come in, and they say, go. And they do their scene, and then they leave. And I, and I literally saw this happen to two, two actors in a row, and then finally I stood up. I said, you guys can't be serious. This is how you do it? They said, yeah. I said, this is not a test of acting. It's a test of nerves. And that's what acting should be because they're not going to always be this nervous. Why aren't you making them comfortable so you find out who the real good ones are? Because they're afraid to – the thing is, I think the network people they, – they, a network person is a very specific kind of brain yeah. that never wants to go out on a limb to show anyone anything because they don't want to be responsible if someone's like, but I thought that one guy liked – like they don't want to yeah. – so they basically just go stone-faced – so that they don't give anything away, right. which sucks. And it's part of the reason why I hate the audition process so yeah. much because it's not, you know. It's, it, a, it's, not a, it's not a fair uh, – that's why they hire some of the wrong people. But when we do – when we cast a movie, I don't do that. People come in the room and I talk to them, where are you from? You know, what's going on? You know, really? Where you grew up in you know, Oklahoma? Where did you go to school out there? Blah, blah, blah. I want them to relax, right? And then I tell them. I say, okay, we're going to try this. And then we're going to try it again after. So just relax. You're going to, you're going to feel, I want you to feel comfortable about it. And, and then they do a take. And then I say, okay, let's try it again. Only this time you started a little low energy. Let's come up a notch, you know, and take this. And then they, I say, you feel good about yeah, it? you're Great. a director. Cool. You're directing them. That never happens in a room. Well, I want them to have given their best shot. Of course. I don't want to be tricked into hiring somebody because they just have really good nerves. Nerves yeah. don't mean shit to me. I mean, I just want the talented ones. And most talented people are nervous people. Yeah. You know, they got nerves. <laughs> so why would I not, like, want them to be, like... You know, I do everything but give them a quaalude before they act. You know, I want them to be really relaxed and give their best shot. Well, I started... When I was still auditioning, uh, I would go in and say... Um, 
hey, I'm going to try this once, and if it sucks, just let me do it again. Yeah. And they would go, okay. Because it, you feel like you just have that one, yeah. and it starts very unnaturally, huh. where you just have to go from zero to 60 in half a second. Right. You're like, oh, we're in the scene now. Like, and, and I was never... Uh, I was never good. I was never good at that. No, it's hard. It's it's really. And if you look at a lot of people who like a lot of people make it come in the side door. Like I always think of like uh, Owen Wilson. Imagine Owen Wilson if he had to like be reading or things like you know he 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 didn't. What he did is he went and made his own thing. They made Bottle Rocket, you know, and they figured we'll just shoot our own because like he would come in and you'd say that guy's got kind of low energy, doesn't he? Yeah. Hey man, you hey man, is it like, okay if I do this again because? Uh... My kids, by the way, go to this great school uh, where they all the kids in the school get a um, freshman year. They get a horse, and they've been doing this since. They get a what? A horse. A fucking horse. A fucking horse. A full sized horse. Yes. Like not even a mini pony. No, a horse. He lives in Ohio, of course. The school has horses, and all freshmen. There's a horse budget. Yes, and all they've been doing this since 1889. And the school, their whole thing is every freshman gets a horse, and you must take care of that horse every day of the year, freshman year. Saturdays and Sundays, you've got to be at school. We have to get up at 8 in the morning on Saturday morning. I get the kids there to feed the horses. Then back at 5 in the afternoon, at Sunday, every day of the year, except for when they're on vacation, school vacation. Plus, they get one weekend off per trimester where they could put the horse out to pass. Whatever happened to just giving pasture. a kid an egg and a diaper and saying, yeah, it's a baby? Yeah. So they do this, and it's to teach, you know, responsibility and you're, you've got to keep the thing alive and make sure it eats and it's happy and all that stuff. So I was telling Owen Wilson this and he goes, you gotta be, what are you thinking? He goes, a horse? You got them cleaning horse pee. Jesus Christ, no wonder the Chinese kids are running circles around us. Jesus. He says, okay, so someone picks up horse shit and that's supposed to make him a better kid? Get him the hell out of there. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he was dead serious. Too. <laughs> and do you find that it works? Or do are, are there are there a percentage of horse deaths every year? There's no horse de- horse deaths, but I yeah uh, my it it is a my kids are waking me up on Saturday morning at seven. Dad, get up! I gotta go feed the horse. You know, it, it is um, it definitely works. Definitely works. You know it, it it's. Uh, uh, it teaches responsibility. They're, the kids, they're not just thinking about themselves. And, and it's only that one year, but it is the entire year of freshman year. Wow. Yeah. And then the horses just get recycled yeah, the next year? Yeah, they get recycled the next year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. It's, it's an amazing thing. I would uh, call this episode Freshman Horse. Yeah. Wow. If I could name it something. I, st- I want to buy a horse. And they have to ride the horses like four times a week and... It's not just feeding the horse and, you know, cleaning the stall, which they have to do. They muck the stalls every day. But uh, they have to ride them, and they have to learn how to ride them. And this school is a crazy school. I mean, they have, like, they give guns in the school. They l- allow it. What What do you mean you have, gun- they have they, guns? They, they, it's like a cowboy school. This, it's, a, it's like a cowboy. Like, oh, you're, like, shooting. You can't just, like, pack You're not heat. walking around with a gun, but they have rifle practice and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and it, it's... Uh, and it, by the way, this, this is a, a Deadwood it's, High. It's not like a right wing school by any means. It's a it's very progressive, actually. But it's a like you don't have to wear helmets, for instance, on the horses. I'm like, really? You guys get away? My kids have to wear helmets. I make them wear yeah. helmets. Yeah. But the school has no rules about wearing helmets. I'm like, you shouldn't me. These guys are like they're riding up in the mountains here. No, 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 no helmets. We're not doing that. You know, like it's a very um, third semester homesteading. Yeah. No. <laughs> It's a great school. Senior year, train robbing <laughs> and claim jumping. 
You have oh. to wear a helmet if other kids are shooting at you on the horses, yeah, though. Sure. So if they're trying to rob uh. your horses. That's amazing. Uh. I, I, I want a horse. You want a horse. You, you think you want a horse, but then it will be. It's a lot of work, man. I was talking about getting a horse. Horse you know, with uh, Mosier. Mosier and I were going to get a horse together. What are you going to do with a horse? We'll have a Phoebe horse. Matt. <laughs> You'll have a what? <laughs> now, God damn it. <laughs> you, I see what happens with your guitar collection. <laughs> I do not want you to start a horse collection. Well, I mean, I just, you know, it'll be a good, it'll just be, it'll be out there. Like, and uh, I can ride through Griffith Park on a horse. I, I know you think you want, you're going to do that, but you will not do that. Yeah. I can put it in the shed. I'll build a shed for the horse. You can't keep a fucking... Sh- you can't keep a horse off La Brea. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't... That's what you think. No. God damn it. Yeah. There's... You know, one of the great lessons I got in my life... My father was... but He was a little... He could be harsh at times, but it was a good kind of harsh because it would like... You knew like where you stood... And I try to teach this with my, I, I tell my wife this story because sometimes the kids will push and push. I don't know, maybe. I, don't, I said, no, just say no. Let them know no so they can move on, get over it. And I remember when I wanted a horse, when I was a little kid, I was probably seven, eight years old. And I was like, dying to have a horse. And we lived out in a little town and, and where no, it was suburbia. Nobody had horses. You know, there was no barns. There was no farms. I, you know, we had like half acre, you know. And I kept, I got it in my head. I wanted a horse. Dad, I want a horse. What do I have to do to get a horse? You can't get a horse beat. I said, come on, please. What if I, uh, you know, what if I uh, take out the trash every day, do the thing? No, no, no horse. You're not getting a horse. And I said, well, what, what if I get straight A's? Straight A's and I'll do this. And plus I'll mow the lawn every third day. You know, I was just trying to make deals, getting a horse, getting a horse. What do I have to do to get a horse? And finally one day I was at, begging for the horse. And my father said, Pete, you're never getting a fucking horse. <laughs> Get over it. We don't live on a farm. You're never getting a fucking horse. <laughs> you know what? I never thought about a horse again. I, uh, that mid-second, I thought, okay. Matt, what about you're a never park? getting a fucking no, horse. No, it, it was over. I knew, yeah, I'm certainly not getting a horse. And I moved on to whatever it was. I want a go-kart or I want a baseball glove or something. But I remember that dream of having a horse, it was over. It died that, that day. And that's how you have to be with kids. Pete, I got you say, this glove. It's made out of horse. Yeah. So you, <laughs> you kind of got two things you wanted. That kind of stuff. Like my, my wife here is that she goes, God, he was a little harsh. I said, you know what? He did me a big favor. It, <laughs> it knocked it right out of my head. Well, now you kind of have a horse. Yeah. Or do you own any other horses? No. We don't own horses. We're not horse people. No. Just the horses. The just kids during the school, school year. Yeah. yeah. The kids had never ridden. They just got there in that day. First day of school, they get their horse and they, you know, they don't ride, you know, they teach them and they do stuff. What's like, the horse's name? Uh, my my uh, daughter's horse has a horse this year, and the name is uh, uh, Tamalina. Oh. Yeah, Tammy, Tamalina. Tammy yeah. the horse. And my Sorry, son had name. Doc last year. Oh, Doc's a good and then, but, a great horse But then name. my son got hurt, not on the horse, he hurt his ankle, and then he got a shitty horse after that. <laughs> and, and there's a couple kids who actually had That's donkeys. Amazing. I swear. Oh, like, if you're a bad kid, you get a donkey? Well, it's like kids. some kids are afraid of the horse, so they give them a little donkey to ride around on. Oh, yeah. the donkey kids. Yeah. It's yeah. The, the equivalent of the short bus. Yeah. The burros. <laughs> the burros. You get the burros? <laughs> I, would, I would take a donkey. Can I get a donkey? No, Matt. All right, fine. Well, you can't have a donkey. We're not getting... Yeah. I'd call this episode Dream Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when your dreams are to own a large mammal, 
uh-huh. that you have to spend a lot of work on. <laughs> Matt, Matt, you, yeah. you complain about your schedule now. Do you understand that you would be adding a significant amount of time to the schedule that you already don't like a just horse, to keep another creature alive? Sure. You should hang around with my kids for a week and no, see what No, don't it, do that to them. Oh, we would have so much fun. It's a lot of work taking care of a horse. Dad, I can't listen to another saxophone play for solo, but, please. But don't make me hang out with Matt again. it's a horse, they love it because, you know, you love your horse. It's a big horse, you know. And, and they're... If I hear the word Fender Strat one more time, I'm going to fucking... <laughs> I want to pull my hair out, Dad. Please don't. Please. Listen, me and the horses are going to be just fine. Yeah. I think it'd be really fun to watch you play an electric guitar riding a donkey, though. I'll do it. Not, if I can uh, keep you it. should not own the donkey, but. Well, you could. then, I'm not doing All it. Right. Well, never mind then. Fine. Yeah. I actually do have two donkeys, miniature donkeys. You do? Yeah. Well, it's weird that I said, do you have a horse and that you didn't go No, but. no because we don't ride them. You can't. They're too little. They're little donkeys. What do you do with miniature them? Miniature donkeys. They just hang around the yard. <laughs> what? Oh yeah, no, they no, they hang around. They're but like, I kind of just feel it's so funny that I was like you're yeah. gonna go. No, we don't have any horses. And well, then, we're like, not five horse minutes people. later. Oh yeah, you know we actually have two well, small donkeys. Well, a, a horse is a, a big, huge animal that takes a lot of care. A donkey you leave in the field. And you but that is an odd thing to have. Like, yeah, to oh, yeah. have a donkey. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's you know, wildly related to chicken to horse ownership. We have all that. Yeah, well, I'm glad I clarified it. That's so crazy. So you have chickens. Yeah. And that does, those fuckers and, don't wake you up at like five o'clock in the morning every morning. Um, I sleep well, but they they do uh, wake some people up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like they're they're uh, they can be a pain in the ass. But you get fresh eggs, you know, every day. You get your own eggs. It's free range. You know, they're walking around the yard, and it's all good. So healthy. Do eggs. they lay the eggs in one place, or you just find them around? No, the yard? they go. They they have a little area where they go lay them, and they'll they'll all pop. You know, you, every day there's probably like ten, twelve eggs. And you, oh my! Gosh. Oh yeah, yeah. You so give they're them fresh, up. like still warm out of the chicken, right out of the ass. And <laughs> and uh, yeah, we wash them. You got to wash them, of course. You know, make sure you don't get anything. But yeah, my kids sell them. You know, they sell them at the street corner. Why are you making your kids sell eggs? You've done very they, well. They're making. They're making. A, they make a. Li- my kids have been working. I have my son working. This is for- unbelievable. Your kids are basically. You're basically ranch hands and yeah. selling their oh, own. No. I, their own I eggs. push my kids. My kids when they're my son when he's fourteen. He's fifteen now, but he got a job, summer job, is in a parking lot. I want my kids to work because I worked growing up, and it was. It gives you. You know, makes you feel good about yourself. How, how your gratifying was it right before the day before your son was entering this high school, and you got to flip it and say to him, son. You're getting a fucking horse. Well, he was excited. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was excited, but he was also a little nervous because it was like they tell you it's not like you're going to play with the horse a couple days a week. You're there every day, morning and night, feeding, wow. cleaning, mucking, riding. You have to really take care of it. But that's why it's such a good school. The kids, they pick kids that will be able to handle it. Well, the horse that you had to take care of every day for a while, a Dumb and Dumber 2, is out. Uh, is it the 7th? Uh, 14th. The 14th. Yes. November 14th. November 14th. And also, can I just do a quick plug for Look at what PSA? Whatever you want. Quick Please. PSA. We're Please, doing, my my brother and I are doing this quick thing. It's a, you know, there's a lot of problems in high school pregnancy and you know, uh, you know, all sorts of diseases and stuff like that. So we're, we're trying to bring back the hand job. Kids, mm-hmm. are you gonna? Are you doing yeah. a fund fundraiser for this? Um, it's a grassroots organization right now. It's just my brother and I. Yeah, it's called Hand It Forward. Okay, great. Perfect. And then backward, and then forward, and back and forth, and back and forth. Is that different than Hand Jobs Across uh, America? Uh, a different organization. It, that's a completely different thing. Ours okay. is you just go to uh, at Fairly Brothers Bros, you know, on Twitter, uh-huh. and we're yeah. gonna be having. 
things that the sororities and you know we've reached out to a few we haven't got any responses yet but we're, we're just trying to i would think yeah trying to help kids well i think it's good to build out the yeah. hj community yeah um so i'm, I'm glad that uh, <laughs> someone's out there no the movie opens on november 14th and um yeah it's fun you've seen it you know it's i got a slogan it's, for you ready huh keep it handy hey keep it handy yeah i like kids that. keep uh, it handy we are looking for a handout. Yeah. <laughs> November 14th, Dumb and Dumber 2. Yes, Dumb and Dumber 2. keep making hand job. <laughs> yeah. But the hand job is a lost art. It is. Like, what the, how the hell did that go out of, out of style? You know? Uh, I don't know, because I, mean, I, yeah, think, I think it would be around forever. But. It, yeah, yeah. What, what is up with It's that? just good. For, it's healthy, is the thing. It's a good, healthy you know, alternative to pregnancy. Solo hand jobs yeah. have not gone out of style. No, they're back no, in. Actually, they're... Very, very much. Very much. Yeah. In. The internet really brought that back. Right. Yeah. With a vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pete Farrelly, it is always a pleasure to see you. I love You're seeing you guys. You're one of the guys. nicest guys in this business. Well, thanks, man. I'm going to come up and see your crazy dog. Please ranch. do. Yeah. All right. Dumb and Dumber 2, T.O., uh, you heard it here first, although some other news organizations uh, tried to take credit for the exclusive story, but don't be fooled. It was broken here on the Nerdist Podcast. You know why? Because Pete Farrelly is a guy who said, I'm going to break this story on your podcast. And you called up and you came on and you did it. And that day I said, I'm going to invite you to come to the set. And man of his word. I did. He is. And, I am, and you're going to be hearing from Jonathan Richmond. Please. Oh, that would yeah. be amazing. Well, he won't call you because he would never do that. So I'm going to have to call you and say, hey, do you... I'll let Tell you, him I got a brick job for him. Do you really want him? Because he would come... Oh, he. By the way, when he comes down here, he literally asks me, he says, hey, you got any walls you need built? I'm like, That's amazing. Oh, yeah. He would, if anybody needs something, he would come down and do it. I'm thinking. If anybody well, listening out there out. wants to have a great stone wall made by a true artist... Jonathan Richmond would do it. He, that's what and he does. And then will he pl- build the wall and then play in front of it? Well, you'd have to pay him to play. Yeah, that's fine. Pay to play. Pay to play. Yeah. Free to lay. All right. Yeah. Enjoy your burro. Enjoy your burro. Okay. Enjoy oh, your that's... tiny burro. Oh, that's great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thank you. Yeah. That's fun. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Welcome to Pura. The most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us in Pura. Promised to keep you safe. I killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pure. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery+. Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.